We live in strange times. Things we've never heard of decades ago and thought were contrary to reason are now commonplace. Could it be because of the advancements in technology? Could it be because of the degradation of godly values? Or, could it be as a result of the rise of false teachings, philosophies, or pseudoscience which seems to replace true religion? People are behaving strangely these days. But have you heard of the thief who stole from God and got praised for it? Let us look together into scripture to read about the story of a person who snatched something from Jesus, and still got commended. Then, let us see how some honest men, perhaps representing the church, miss the magic of the moment. The setting of our story is in Galilee, and the Lord Jesus had just returned from the country of the Gadarenes, from an awesome encounter with a demoniac, whose deliverance left the whole city in tumult and in fear, but also enjoyed the benefit of being insured against the swine flu. And as he arrived in Galilee, he was met by a ruler of the synagogue by the name of Jairus, whose daughter was gravely ill. But as Jesus went with Jairus, something happens on the way. We find this story in the Synoptic Gospels of Luke and Mark. Turn with me now to Luke 8 43-48. 1. And a woman having an issue of blood 12 years. Dash I understand that a woman's monthly period is not at all pleasant, nor neat, nor cool. But this for this lady it was not a monthly thing, it was daily for her. Perhaps her bleeding was not as profuse as the monthly thing, or she'd not have lasted that long. 2. Which had spent all her living upon physicians. Dash economists say that one should not pay more than 30% of one's income on rent, that 30% is an affordable amount to provide for all other expenses. However, for expatriates in some countries, 53% of their income is spent on food and rent. That means they have to choose their lifestyle preference between, living well, or eating well. Living well with privacy in a comfortable but expensive place is to be hungry. On the other hand, to eat well is to be tired and sleepy in a cramped house. For this woman, who most likely could not be employed, she probably had to engage in some form of livelihood that would meet her expenses because of the financial burden she might have become to her parents, or to her family, or siblings. They might have given up on her, unable to sustain her medical expenses, so she had to support herself. Her choices were, a, die with some money saved, b, or survive in poverty. But she had the will to live. But what happened was, 3. Neither could be healed of any. Dash the writer of the Gospel of Luke was, of course, Luke, and being a physician himself, perhaps out of embarrassment, left out what Mark revealed, that, the physicians only made her worse. Matthew 5:26. Of course, if we compared modern medical practice with the therapeutics of the Jewish physicians, we might not wonder why she became worse. For example, Rabbi Yochanan recommends for such a malady. Take of gum Alexandria, of alum, and of crocus hortensis, a flower, the weight of a zuzi, each, let them be bruised together, and given in wine to the woman that hath an issue of blood. But if this fails, take of Persian onions nine logs, approximately three liters, boil them in wine, and give it to her to drink, and say, rise from thy flux. But should this fail, set her in a place where two ways meet, and let her hold a cup of wine in her hand, and let somebody come behind and affright her, and say, arise from thy flux. But should this do no good, take a handful of cumin and a handful of crocus, and a handful of fenugreek, a medicinal plant, let these be boiled, and given her to drink, and say, arise from thy flux. But should this also fail, dig seven trenches, and burn in them some cuttings of vines not yet circumcised, vines not four years old, and let her take in her hand a cup of wine, and let her be led from this trench and set down over that, and let her be removed from that, and set down over another, and in each removal say unto her, Rise from thy flux. So Our Lady puts her plan into action. 4. Came behind him. Dash so that she would not be seen or noticed by the Lord at what she was about to do. 
Why the subtlety, the stealth of it? Because she knew that she was, by virtue of Levitical law, unclean. If the people around her had been aware of this, she would have been stoned to death for contaminating so many people at once. But she had no choice. If she had come up front, she might attract attention and be violently rejected by the people. This is why she came trembling to Jesus when her deed was discovered, we'll get back to this later towards the end of the story. In short, she planned to steal her healing from God. Please pay attention when I say this, and I say it purposely, again, she planned to steal her healing from God. The emphasis is on God. 5. And touch the border of his garment. Dash this woman had an amazing theology. To understand her, we need to go to Haggai 2:12-13, where it says, If one bear holy flesh in the skirt of his garment, and with his skirt do touch bread, or pottage, or wine, or oil, or any meat, shall it be holy? And the priests answered and said, No. Then said Haggai, If one that is unclean by a dead body touch any of these, shall it be unclean? And the priests answered and said, It shall be unclean. Technically, being unclean, whatever she would touch would become unclean, as well. However, and this is where her radical faith is found, she said in Mark 5:28, If I may touch but his clothes, I shall be whole. Was she ignorant of the law? Being a Jew, she was probably aware of the law about the clean and unclean. But did she intend to defile Jesus? Or did she think differently of him? I propose that she believed that anyone who touches God or is touched by God, will receive a new beginning. After all, we can remember Moses, whose physical contact with God was in that holy ground around the burning bush. God asked him to remove his sandals, right? Jacob had physical contact with the pre-incarnate Christ as they wrestled, and his life and future changed. In effect, when these men physically encountered God, a divine exchange took place, God took their past and present and exchanged it with his future. God took their impurity and gave them his righteousness. She could only have been certain that this was her chance for a God encounter, and that by all means, she needed a Jacob or Moses moment, to escape her present circumstance. Why only the border? because for her, that was enough. This border was not even the fabric of the robe itself. This was just the tassels that ran along the hem commonly seen on Jewish robes. Her faith was like the centurion who believed there was no necessity for the Lord to come to his house, for he was unworthy of his visit, but one word from the Lord would be sufficient to result in the healing he wanted. The same with the Syrophoenician woman who was glad to receive crumbs. 6. And immediately her issue of blood staunched. A few years ago, I was diagnosed with cervical spondylosis. The symptoms began with numbness and tingling in my left arm, which alarmed my wife and friends who thought I was having a stroke. Then, the numbness and tingling increased in severity and frequency, and this was followed by what I thought was a stiff neck. The numbness and tingling worsened with the addition of pain in my arm, so much so that I would need to change the position of my head to relieve the pain. My left arm and neck could not remain in one position whether sitting or standing. Even when lying down, I had to turn in my bed very, very carefully. The doctor was not very encouraging, either. It is a degenerative disease, he said. He was saying in effect, don't worry, it'll only get worse with age. His medical books taught him that. And I was supposed to believe him. But my holy Bible tells me otherwise. I chose to believe the more reliable report. My healing was gradual, but it came, praise God. But for this faithful woman, it was in the blink of an eye. She felt it so suddenly that she must have felt sorry she could not thank her healer, because as she stopped processing what just happened in her body, the crowd moved forward and she slipped out and away from them. But wait, there's more. 7. And Jesus said, Who touched me? Dash now we know from Peter's answer later on, that there was a big crowd who followed Jesus, and they were pushing and jostling each other as they followed him along. 
Perhaps as they walked on the uneven road, someone near him would trip on an impediment, or step on another's sandals, and hands or body parts would inadvertently touch the Lord, to break their fall. Sadly, these people, even those closest to him, had their own agenda for being there. They accompanied him, but they were not with him. It's the same thing that happens in your family, or with your friends. You're all sitting together in the same living room, but no one is talking to each other, because all are engrossed in their own little world with their gadgets. People sitting across each other on a dining table, yet not together. What has become of us, anyway? The twelve had their own kingdom agenda, it was political. The inner circle, Peter, James, and John, all had their personal agenda, who would be the greatest among them in the kingdom. This we know for sure because, in the next chapter of Luke 9, Jesus would teach them what it means to be great in the kingdom of God. But I digress again. You see, the word touch has many implied relations and doesn't just mean to contact, it means attached to. In other words, Jesus was really asking, who came near me with an intent to be attached to me? The answer sadly, is, none among those who followed him. 8. When all denied. Dash, and the answer from the people was truthful. These are honest men. They meant to say that the touch was unintentional. No one really intended to be attached to him in a personal way. These would be some people who want to be Christian, don't want to appear too zealous, afraid of being labeled fanatic. They want to have God in their lives, but not become totally involved. Which reminds me of the hen and pig who wanted to go into the restaurant business. The pig asked the hen what would be a good name for the restaurant. The hen replied, how about bacon and eggs? To which the pig replied, nah, I'd be too committed, but you are only involved. God is, until today, seeking those who will worship Him in spirit and in truth. And that involves commitment, not just involvement. 9. Peter and they that were with him, said, Master, the multitude throng thee and press thee, and sayest thou, who touched me? Dash as usual, it was Peter who spoke first. Quick on the draw, not to be outdone, but as usual, without having weighed things carefully first. Those words were the equivalent of duh, hello. But sadly, as usual, Peter again misses the big picture because he didn't see what just happened in the spirit. But after the resurrection, Peter saw the big picture, understood his purpose, and became a prominent figure in the first century church, eventually becoming a martyr for Christ. What I'd like for us to see here is that question by Jesus, who attached to me? Who is willing to pay the price for following me? Who is willing to take up his cross and come follow me? I can't help but remember him saying in Matthew 11:12, and from the days of John the Baptist until now the kingdom of heaven suffereth violence, to crowd oneself into, and the violent, energetic, take it by force, see slash caught up, the same word for the rapture in 1 Thessalonians 4:17. This is how we should attach to God, purposefully, vigorously. If I were to make my own paraphrased Bible, I'd render Matthew 11:12 this way, since John the Baptist until today, God allows energetic people to crowd into heaven then they are raptured out of earth. 10. And Jesus said, Somebody hath touched me, for I perceive that virtue has gone out of me. Dash Jesus explained how he knew somebody had wanted to be attached to him, that somebody had taken something from him. As he turned, his eyes met with those of the woman's. Mark 5:32. 11. When the woman saw that she was not hid, she came trembling and falling down before him, declared unto him and all the people for what cause she had touched him and how she was healed immediately. She came trembling because she realized that the people might be furious at her if they found out that she was unclean when she walked among them, thus also infecting them as she squirmed her way through to get to Jesus. You can now imagine the crowd parting to make way for her as she makes her way toward Jesus again. But what a confession of faith. She must have astounded the other people who heard her testimony. 
her words would have been enough to convince the skeptics in the crowd that this Jesus whom they've been following around, is not just a miracle man, but he is the Messiah, the Son of God, before whom all nature must bow. 12. And he said unto her, Daughter, be of good comfort, thy faith hath made thee whole. Dash what comfort these words must have been to her soul. Not only did she obtain physical relief from her illness, now even her soul found consolation rather than condemnation. The people would have shown her wrath, but Jesus gave her mercy. The world's doctors could not give her healing, but Jesus gave her wholeness. Her faith had been proven true. She had indeed touched God. She had been the recipient of a divine exchange. His wholeness for her brokenness. The thief had been vindicated and pronounced guiltless. Because you see, God's riches are not locked away in a vault that only He can open. We are standing on the victory that Jesus has gotten for us. It is a mountain of spiritual riches appropriated by His vicarious sacrifice and that belongs to us, His children. Rom 8:32. He that spared not His own Son, but delivered Him up for us all, how shall He not with Him also freely give us all things? That is why God's invitation has always been come. Mark 1:17. Come ye after me, and I will make you to become fishers of men. Matthew 11:28. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavily laden, and I will give you rest. John 7:37. If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. Mark 6:31. A come ye yourselves apart into a desert place and rest a while. Matthew 19:21. Be come and follow me. Matthew 22:4. See come unto the marriage. Matthew 25:34. Come, ye blessed of my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. And when you come to God. Don't mind the distractions, don't mind the circumstances, don't mind the honest men that only block your way to God. After all, just to touch the edge of his garment, is permission enough. What is this for you? There is a parallel of this woman's condition to those who do not know Christ. Just like this this woman, they are slowly dying. Perhaps not physically, although that is a certainty, but spiritually going farther and farther from God through continual sinning. Sinning is a spiritual hemorrhage. We read that in Isaiah 64:6, but we are all as an unclean thing, and all our righteousness are as filthy rags, and we all do fade as a leaf, and our iniquities, like the wind, have taken us away. If you do not know Christ, today, my friend, please realize that this is your true spiritual condition, and I do not say this in a condemning way, but in love. God looks on sinners as unclean, and our best deeds, our righteousness, are totally unacceptable to Him. But, thanks be to God, there is forgiveness, and there is hope. Like that woman, people who do not know Christ spend their money on things that might alleviate the feeling of lostness, or of having no purpose, or of feeling unwanted or unloved, or having no inner peace. They engage in relationships, join groups, keep friends, etc. Perhaps you are like me before I knew the Lord, I was basically a good person, yet, I felt that something was missing in my life. There are these false doctors who prescribe medication to your situation. The real sickness of this world is not financial, or political, or social, or philosophical, but spiritual. No matter what solutions the sinner will try out, to come to a sense of purpose, meaning, and hope, the only effect of those will be failure and frustration. Indeed some people lose all hope they just decide to kill themselves. But don't despair, because the good news is that God sent Jesus to earth on a rescue mission, John 3:16. All who believe, that He is the Son of God who gave His life on the cross as payment for sin, rose again the third day, ascended to heaven and is coming back to take all his believers with him to heaven, can receive forgiveness for their sins, if they want to. All you need to do is repent, and ask for him to forgive you. Confess with your own lips these truths, and if you are sincere, the Bible says you are saved.
that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with a heart one believes unto righteousness, and with a mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture says, whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. Romans 10 9-11 If you've made a decision to believe in Jesus, let me know. I wish to help you grow in your new faith in the God of the Bible whose promises never fail. Did you enjoy this issue? Then share the joy with others too. Until the next issue, God bless you.